Um, you know, I, I've said this before, but this is this is you're dealing with a hurricane, right? You're not yeah. dealing with a boxing match. You can't win this. You know, you can't fight the hurricane. What you do is prepare um, for the hurricane. And I, I say this not to discourage people, not to be pessimistic, but just so that everybody can be prepared. Episode 21, thank you so much for the support and, you know, the endearing comments that we get from not only our shareholders, but family and friends. Thank you so much for tuning in every week, uh, you know, to get these gems of knowledge being dropped by nothing short of people who have experience and very high caliber type of guests that we've been having so far please do not forget to like share and comment and tell us more about what you think of the guests that we bring on remember that this content is curated for you and our as our listeners our guest today is nothing short of a boss lady forbes africa has listed her as one of africa's 50 most powerful women in 2020 she is the founder and ceo of appstech she's also the co-founder of io spaces she sits on quite a number of boards such as afri labs um venture capital for africa um the african the african media initiative Aneza education suguba and i am the code I am in awe because Rebecca Enon Chong is with us today. And yeah, let's just give her a warm welcome. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so um, much for it's, having it's, me. It's an honor actually to be, you know, in the presence of a <laughs> one of Africa's 15 most powerful women in 2020. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored. All right, so maybe you can tell us who Rebecca Enon Chong is and what motivates you on a day today. Um, I think what really my core is 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 it just being an entrepreneur. Um, I've I've been an entrepreneur for over twenty years, and I think that that's really what is what most defines me. Um, and then trying to support others, um, especially Africans in um in their journey of becoming um, tech entrepreneurs. All right. So, you know, tell us where your passion for tech comes from and what motivated you to pursue it further? Um, I think it's it's always been in me. I, I just remember, you know, from the first time I ever touched a computer um, and understood its power. And, you know, you can change the world with a computer. Um, and that that was so exciting to me that, you know, I, I became very passionate about it, um, you yeah. know, as I said, very early and, you know, have, have I want to share that passion. So I, I wish other people understood um, the power of technology and, and, and the good that it can bring. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. So you are the founder and CEO of AppsTech. And last year, AppsTech celebrated 20 years since its inception. How did you come up with this idea and start this global business? Um, so I used to work for um, Oracle, which is um, a huge software company, um, you know, one of the largest in the world. Um, and I was I was doing I was specialized in something called, at the time, this is way before, 
we called it fintech, but it was called financial technologies, which was basically the technology layer between what the users see and the the you know the the all the tech underneath um, that they don't see. And so right. you know, I, I my specialty was understanding what happened when a user clicked on a certain button, what would happen on the back end. Um, and right. so that's, you know, at the time we called it financial technology. And so when I created my company, when I left and created my company, I called it financial right. technologies group. So FinTech group um, at the time. Right. And um, then realized that I was doing more than just financial systems. I was also working on other applications that weren't necessarily financial, like HR, um, procurement, that kind of thing. And so I changed the name. Um, and this is in January of 2000. I changed the name from Financial Technologies Group to Application Technologies, which is AppStack. So we right. ended up shortening it all together to AppStack. But yes, <laughs> that's where the, that's the origin of the name. All right. <laughs> So what what was your trigger when you started AppStack? What is the one thing that you wanted to to get out of it? You know, at, at originally I felt like I just wanted to do something on my own. I I was tired of working for other people and I was traveling too much. This is very funny because I travel way more than I I did then, but I was you yeah. know I was in a different city every week and I was re it was really hard on me. Um and so I just said, you know, let, let me see about starting my own thing. You know, maybe I'll just do some consulting. And one of my, my friends that later even became an employee said, hey, you know, if you set up a company um, rather than, you know, you being a consultant, you can charge more as a company versus right. as an individual. I was like, oh, great idea. And that yeah. just got me started. And of course, if you're going to start a company, then... I wanted to do a business plan and I did my plan. And in my plan, I realized that my goodness, this could really work and I could really make money off of this. And, um, I, yeah. I, I, I think my, my, my plan, my, my was to generate $1.8 million in the first year, um, based okay. on, you know, how we looked, how I looked at the market and, you know, how I intended to approach this market. And we ended up doing more than that. We ended up doing over 2 million in our, in our first year. So um, I, it was exciting that, that, but it didn't start out as, oh, I'm going to create this multi-million dollar business. Um, it really just started like, I just want to stop working for other people <laughs> and I want to stop <laughs> traveling. So I know it's not very inspiring to say, but that's the truth. But obviously you're doing something in you're doing you're working or, you know, you started something in something you're very passionate about, which is tech. And, you know, it, it just it just echoes through how you're explaining what AppStack does and, you know, how it was it came to be, despite you not wanting to work for other people. But obviously we're looking at it from obviously a lot of people look at it from a perspective that it's a very male dominated tech industry. Um, so what challenges did you face and how have you been able to address them till now? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that passion drives so much. You know, passion is what allows you to overcome so much adversity, especially in business. Um, if you're not passionate about it and you, you just don't have, it, you know, the passion gives you that energy that you need to get to the next level and to get to the next step and to overcome um, all these challenges. Um, so obviously you're in a very male dominated tech industry. What challenges did you face and how have you been able to address them till now? Yeah, I think especially because I started my business in the US, I had the additional yeah. burden of being a, a foreigner. So I was a black African woman in a white American male dominated right. industry. And therefore, first of all, even from a from a from an employee standpoint, when I was working, I always had to do more. You know, I always had to do I always had to get external validation. I'm the first person that was certified in the world on the Oracle financial systems. Right. I, I was the very first even within Oracle. Like I'm the, the, you know, I, I passed all the exams that were necessary as soon as the, the test was, I mean, as soon as this certification was available. And so you always have to work harder and to prove and always get external validation. Um, so that, that was, but I think that, you know, I always believe that technology was the great equalizer. Um, you know, when you download an application onto a phone, you don't look to see who created it, right? And so um, I, I always believe, and I still believe that that the technology is a great equalizer. You know, when you have really good technology or you're delivering really good products, yeah, I, I think that the people don't see, don't look at who's behind it. Um, where you do start seeing... Um, a, a huge difference is when you're trying to raise money, right? Because you can't hide. So initially, like I hid, you know, we created this huge corporate brand um, and really worked hard. Our marketing department was 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 big for a very small company. Um, and we did a lot to build this brand around AppStech. So that it wasn't looking at who the employees were because most of us were African. Um, Uh And because we were a startup and we were in an industry that was had a lot of longstanding competitors that had been there, you know, for very many years and had 150,000 employees. We really had to work hard in branding to make sure that, you know, we didn't. We, we weren't subject to all these questions about, are you good enough? Um, right. But, but you know, when you go in front of your banker, you're you. You're not. You can't hide behind, you know, this corporate. Yeah, the brand. Yeah. Yeah, the brand. I mean, my business card had no title, right, for many years. Um, right. I never had a, a title on my business card because people didn't really want me to be the CEO, so that I could go into a meeting and I could be the salesperson, I could be uh, the engineer, I could be so many different things so that people wouldn't be uncomfortable thinking that I was the, the CEO. 
Um, and we had so many issues, I mean, where people would refuse to believe it. And so I'm like, you know, let me just skip that step and not have to explain over and over again that, yes, I am the CEO. I, let me just skip all that. So, yeah. And I just didn't, I didn't lie about it, but I definitely didn't put it forward. And I would say that right. 99% of the people assumed that I was just an employee. Um, but in front of the bank, believe me, it mattered. Um, we, we, right. we had our um, account one time suspended um, or blocked because they didn't like the fact that our CFO was a Nigerian and they wanted to wow. do additional due diligence. Yeah, this is in the U.S. Uh, and then um, here in, in Cameroon, I actually was refused entrance to a bank. Like they, they literally did not let me inside the bank. Um, because they's like, this is a bank only for, for businesses. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was Citibank by the way. And we, we had accounts, um, we had accounts in Citibank and I've told them the story. So they know about this. Um, you know, yeah. e eventually we did end up opening an account in, in, in Cameroon in Citibank Cameroon, but it's it just the way I was even treated as a customer. It was like an, an, an under customer. And, you know, those are some of the challenges, but I think the challenges aren't the technology. The challenges really are, you know, the way people perceive you as a business person, you know, the way they right. look at you as, you know, being able to run a multi-million dollar company. Um, and so we never got any external funding from any venture capitalist. We never got even a, um, a facility, an overdraft facility by any bank. Um, we really just grew organically. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's the real challenge is, is all the money part, um, you know, rather than, than really the, you know, the business end. I, I know that one, one contract that we had and, you know, that, that um, with a customer, they, they actually told us that for black people, they felt that they'd given us sufficient money and refused to pay almost $3 million of a remaining contract because they just didn't understand why we would need the money because we're black. I mean, literally, that's what they said to me. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it was just too much money, even though the contracts, I mean, it was like, there was a contract signed and, um, but at, at one point they just decided that, yeah, for a black person, this is just too much. We had another customer saying that, um, you know, because we actually had to send a resume, which we don't like to do. Um, but they actually asked us for the, a copy of the resume and they looked at the name and the name was very African sounding and, and they're like, at this, for your rates, we expected a white person. And this is an African customer. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that we've had to deal with where not just, um, you know, traditional Western businesses and individuals don't believe that as Africans, especially as African women, that we're capable, but Africans themselves don't believe that we're capable. And so that's something that we all have to overcome is, is being able to trust ourselves 
which actually brings me to my next question and like obviously with the challenges that you've experienced that uh, you'll obviously need a support system and that seems like a lot of you know hurdles that you've been through and you know there's there always has to be something that you fall back on or somebody you go to for advice for and I, I guess that's what um Afrilabs Foundation has done and so with that said, what kind of support do African startups require to survive those brutal early years and thrive? Okay, so I think that peer-to-peer um, mentorship is huge. Right. For me, it was a lifesaver. Not just getting mentorship, not getting mentorship from people that had accomplished, um, and but people that were in it. And knowing right. that my experience is not unique, that other people are going through the same difficulties and the same challenges as, as I am going through. And being able to really support each other that way is so, yeah. so important. Um, and there was no structured way for me to do this when I first started my business. Um, I, there were some other African diaspora entrepreneurs and we started an organization called the Africa Technology Forum. And we just understood each other so well and we supported each other so much, but there was no real structure to it um, as a support mechanism for entrepreneurs, which is why one of our early projects as the Africa Technology Forum was the African Center for Technology Innovation and Ventures, which uh, was to be um, a center um, to support African tech entrepreneurs. And we wanted to, to be based on the continent. And that's the project that ended up in active as being active spaces, which is um, um, the technology hub here, one of the technology hubs, or the first one in, in Cameroon. Yeah. So we opened our first one in 2010, our second one in 2012, and Active Space is also, is also a founding member of the Afrolabs network. Um, and Afrolabs started with five hubs in 2011. Today we have over 200 okay. hubs. Um, in 46 different African countries, supporting a community wow. of over a million African tech entrepreneurs. And I think that's really, really a testament to how important technology has been and how much more structured and organized uh, we are becoming as, a, as, as, as an ecosystem. Great. So... Um, investment in startups. You've mentioned that you know you you didn't have as much access as maybe your white male counterparts when you were starting up and you know getting investments, and as well as you know uh, being an African, they would discriminate and sort of you know be very skeptical of the your day to day operations. So, given that experience in the startup space. How can African startups ready themselves for investment? And when is the right time to raise this investment? Um, so I think that, that the best time is when you already have a working product and you have a few customers that are using the product and you're getting feedback from those customers. So, you know, regardless of, of which model you're using and what that might maybe called, um, a product market fit is really what we're talking about, um, is really the best time to, um, to start looking for 
outside funding. It's very difficult for any startup anywhere in the world to get funding before you've reached that stage. Um, and I, I see people like, I have this great idea. Can you fund me? And I'm like, no, I, you know, we don't fund ideas. A lot of people have great ideas. I have a lot of great ideas. It does not mean that um, you can get funding for them. And in our context, in the African context, getting to that point where you are, um, you've been able to complete your product and you've been able to get it to market and you, you have a few customers is so much more difficult because of our environment. Um, that this is why a hub is so key. All these incubation programs that support startups and are so are completely free to the entrepreneur that really support yeah. you and taking that idea and getting it to market and so that you can start generating some revenues or generating some traction and supporting you also in preparing the necessary documents and and being um, um, qualified or 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 trained in you know, how to approach an investor, what the lingo is, you know, the sorts of documents yeah. that that you'll be required to to present, um, you know, how to prepare those documents, how you'll go through a due diligence process, you know, the negotiation, all of those things are, 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 are uh, skills that a technology hub that has an incubation program can bring to an entrepreneur. Um, you know, we don't have those uncles and cousins and friends uh, as, as those that are sitting in Silicon Valley do that can say, hey, you know, this is how it goes. I'm going to call up, you know, my buddy and, and, and ask him to put in some money. And, you know, so, so, so in order to overcome those challenges, I think going through a hub is, is, is really critical for many entrepreneurs. Right. Not all of them need it, but it's definitely support that I would recommend. What do you think are the five major trends for startups to leverage 2020-21? Okay, so my five are to survive, to survive, to survive, to survive, and to survive. I think that yes. we're, we're dealing with an unprecedented um, situation and I really encourage startups to um, to hunker down um, and to stretch their their cash for as long as possible. Um, I was reading and I actually tweeted about an article today um, that that actually talked about how to deal with the current COVID um, crisis, and it it said that if you haven't modified your business plan since the beginning of the month then you're in denial. Um, so I think that this is really critical because I, I'm not seeing entrepreneurs realizing how, how, how bad the situation is going to get. Um, you know, so many have, you know, these projects and are, and are thinking that, hey, you know, we're just going to work from home for a couple months and then in a couple months, things will be better. You know, our revenues yeah. are a little bit down, but then after those two months, then they'll be back up again. And it's not going to be that way. You really have to anticipate that for the next year, 
um, things were going are going to be very very difficult. Um, you know, I I I I have said this before, but this is this is you're dealing with a hurricane, right? You're not yeah. dealing with a boxing match. You can't win this. You know, you can't fight the hurricane. What you do is prepare. Um, for the hurricane. And I, I say this not to discourage people, not to be pessimistic, but just so that everybody can be prepared. Um, because I think what we're not seeing is the number of big companies, um, a number of small companies that are just going to disappear. Um, and so whether you're a consumer-based business or a B2B, you're going to suffer because your customers won't be around anymore. Um, or they won't be able to afford your services or your products anymore. And so we really have to prepare for that and hunker down. All right. So on a lighter note, um, amongst the numerous awards and recognition you have received over the years, how do you feel about being named by Forbes Africa as one of Africa's 50 most powerful women in 2020? Wow, it that was such an honor, um, particularly because of the other women that were included um, in that in that fifty. Um, you know, it's it's they're remarkable, and I feel so small next to them. But but really, I I am I'm I, I'm blessed. I, I'm very very thankful and very very honored um, to have been included, and especially since we we did a photo shoot. Um, so four of us appeared on the cover of the women's uh, Forbes Africa Women edition, um, and that's the first yeah. time I've ever been on the cover of Forbes. So I was really excited about that, and and I think that what's important to me is that it it strengthens my voice and it allows me to to speak to people that may not have heard me before. Um, yeah. and, and speak passionately uh, about um, the, the possibility of, of technology entrepreneurship and, and how it can help us in developing our continent. I mean, if you think about it, you're on the same list as Grasha Michelle in a list of Africa's most influential and impactful ceiling crashes. Like, that's absolutely amazing. And it's such an order to have you on here, because I mean, 50 most powerful women in 2020 that's that's a very big accolade to have as well well i'm i'm especially honored to be on on your podcast i mean i've been following alu and um you know everything you've done is is inc incredible and very remarkable so it's an honor for Thank me you to so be much. on your podcast all right. So with that said, uh, you know, with your plethora of experience from your past and being in the industry for more than 20 years and even working harder way before that, uh, what is your advice for the young Africans looking at building the next big global business? I would say that my first thing is discipline. Um, it doesn't right. happen overnight. It, it's really you have to be committed to putting in the really, really hard work. Um, and that hard work that nobody else can see. Um, so nobody can, will be able to congratulate you on how hard you're working um, because a lot of it is is behind the scenes. And so that discipline is, is really important. Also self-denial. Um, you're going to have to say no to yourself a lot and make yeah. huge sacrifices personally. Um, I think sometimes people don't anticipate. I always say that comfort is your enemy. 
as an entrepreneur. And um, what, what that means is that, you know, whenever you choose a life of comfort over the life of sacrifice that's required when you're starting your business, um, you lose and you can't grow um, with that mindset. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just hunker down. Don't try to, there's no flash in it. There's no glamour in it. There's, it's just a lot of hard work. Um, and discipline. The other suggestion I would have is to really look at how your business can scale. Um, and right. if you're looking at your market and, and, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs only look at their local market and they say, well, I have this many uh, potential customers in my country. And those markets are generally way too small for you to scale in any significant way. Um, and so you really need to look at how your product um, can scale, not just across Africa, but across the world. Um, and, you know, I think that we are so capable of creating solutions that the entire world can use um, that we should not yeah. limit ourselves to just our local market. I mean, if you, you can scale if you limit, as you said. <laughs> All right, then. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been it's been an honor to have someone of your caliber, you know, be a part of this podcast and, you know, sort of enlighten the experiences and people can relate as well to the African experience, to the female perspective as well, and to also the tech perspective. And yeah, it's been, it's been amazing having you here. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and stay safe. <laughs> All right, then. Thank you. Thank you.